Hi, this is Matt Tilly, and I am here with Craig Faust. How you doing, Craig? Doing well. How are you? Doing just fine. You are listening to the Mental Health Insights uh, in the Bible podcast. This is where we connect mental health insights found in the biblical narrative. And today we are focusing a little bit more on relationships, uh, specifically Adam and Eve, where we see them in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Uh, and how we can better understand relationships, not just marriage, but all relationships, friendships, child-parent, any kind of relationship that you might imagine, right? That they're all designed for something beautiful, and yet they're tainted. And we're going to observe a little bit more so how they are tainted today. Right, and this is something that's close to my heart. We both counselors uh, we work with different populations but matt and i also both work with couples Mm -hmm. and this is something that we see that's very prevalent and if this is the first episode you're coming in on i think that uh, the important thing is that we've been camping around early genesis uh, for a little bit because this gives us an idea of what things look like or how things took place before the fall now the last episode uh, we actually did talk about the fall and how this introduces uh, a lot of the mental health challenges that we go through. And we're going to be continuing with that theme as we start to work through the Bible. But I think that it is important that we are looking at pre-fall so we get an idea of what it actually looks like kind of to operate in the best conditions that human beings were meant to, right? So you're in this garden, Eden, where you have plenty food, there's safety, there's security there. God walks among mm-hmm. the uh, the space and is present there. There is this connection. But we get this issue that happens. Uh, there aren't very many conflicts that happen in early Genesis, and we kind of talked a little bit about this. This is different than most origin stories of, of any religion and kind of really speaks to the power of God. Uh, there is no conflict, but the conflict, mm-hmm. uh, this is kind of the, one of the first conflicts that happens here where yep. it is not good for man to be alone. Right. And we talk about this a little bit where it's not good for man to be alone. First time God says that where something is not good. Right. He and, needs a helper. Right. right. So that we are hardwired from the very beginning in the mm-hmm. our origin story, we are hardwired for relationships. I mean, if any of you guys have ever felt lonely, have felt this despair of I don't belong, no one loves me, no one wants me, no one desires me, it's because this is hardwired in every single one of us. We have this need for connection, which is beautiful, but painful. Oh, totally. And it is so cool, right? Matt talked to us a little bit about the intimacy of this entire situation where God takes dirt, breathes life into it, right? And uh, how close God was to this process. And then we see another intimate process where God puts Adam into a deep sleep, mm-hmm. takes the rib. Now, we talked a little bit about this before. That's actually really not a good translation or a good description. It's actually uh, God takes the side of Adam. So this this is, in my mind, this is something that's important for what we're going to talk about. He's taking a part of Adam to form woman. 
and the it's just such a grand image. Mm. Two halves of the same coin, or whatever metaphor you want to use, whatever analogy that you want to use to give this picture, they are one and the same only when they are together. Right. Uh, Adam bursts into the poetry whenever he sees her standing before him. He says, this at last, because he was feeling that that hole, I suppose, in him, right? This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Right. How amazing is this? That, so... Adam, in relationship with God, the image of God, notices that there there is something that's not quite right here. This is not a complete image, not a complete reflection, and the Bible doesn't specifically say anything about this, but something wasn't right here. And we have the introduction to Eve, and we have this reaction from Adam, clearly, there's a difference here. And now we, right, so Matt and I were talking a little bit about this before we started recording, right? The Bible is not an all-inclusive history, right? It doesn't tell mm-hmm. us that, oh, and they lived happily for hundreds of years in Eden or anything like that. They'd take, you know, walk in the walk down dirt paths in Eden, take yeah, a dip in the rivers. Yeah, it doesn't give us all the details. Right. right. Um, but we are to, we are to assume from some of this text that there is an ongoing relationship. God takes these evening walks. Mm-hmm. Adam and Eve is there, right? There is this intimacy. Yeah. We don't know how long they, they were doing this for, mm-hmm. but we get the idea that they have maybe grown close. Right. And this is what it's actually supposed to look like. Adam and Eve working in the garden, two parts of a whole. Yeah. The reflection, and they are the image, they are the reflection of God. This is what we are looking at whenever we want to see or we want to understand this is what human beings are designed for. There's work, there is connection, there's openness. They talk about them being naked, the you know, which is a reference in the Bible to kind of like vulnerability, mm-hmm. being open. So we get this beautiful image. Yeah. Of what it's supposed to look like. Yeah. yeah. Everything we've been discussing before, right? Like you were naming, there's, there is that work. There's resting together. Mm. There's delighting in one another and having relationship. Um, I think that these are the essentials. Relationship right. with one another and relationship with God. Right. The essentials of life. Um, this is what made the garden so perfect. Right. Yeah. Um, and you had mentioned that they were both made in the image of God, right? Uh, I think that's important to even pull back from Genesis 1 uh, in verse 27 where it says, and So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. This is a good example of how the narrative isn't linear because then as in chapter 2 it starts describing the intimate process of how God made right. woman. Um but it's a beautiful example of how women are just as important as man. Uh, you know, we live in a very divisive world today, and this has been a topic that has been an issue for, you know, 100 years. Uh, not just 100 years, but where it's been on 
people's radar. Uh, but since the very beginning of time, it's been an issue of uh, women being viewed as lesser than. And it's no secret that that is all throughout Scripture as well. But important to note that at the very beginning when things were perfect, when things were made as they should have been made, that woman was made in the same image of God as man was. That woman was taken from man. That she was made to be connected and in relationship just as much as man was. So we have this moment, this harmony, that then gets interrupted. Yeah. Gets interrupted by the serpent. It gets interrupted by Satan, where they talk to Eve, and through some clever wordplay, convince Eve to eat of the tree of uh, eat of this tree that they're not supposed to. The only thing that they're not supposed to do here, mm-hmm. uh, and by the way, that's kind of me being a little bit sarcastic because we don't really know. Uh, you know, God could have had, had all these different rules. We don't know. This is the only one that we're told about mm-hmm. because this is the only one that's relevant to the story. Like Matt shared, only things that are relevant to the story come up. Yeah. Right? Those are the only things that are shared because the Bible is trying to tell us a story. And we're going to get yeah. to, like, what the main point of the story is actually very shortly here. Yeah. Um, so there's the consumption of this uh, fruit that we talked a little about during the fall. You know, Eve, Eve eats of it, gives it to Adam. They both see in their own eyes that it's good. Uh, this is something that is – this is kind of the first divisiveness that ends up happening because they are using their own interpretation of what is good and evil – to do this, what's good and bad, and that is not how this relationship is supposed to work, Mm-mm. where God is supposed to be the source, and it's only revealed later that this is kind of how it's supposed to be, right? Because Genesis is very short here, uh, so this is kind of, again, where the narrative jumps around and and what this actually looks like, and um, but so they eat of this fruit, and God comes and he's calling to them. They realize before this that they are, again, paraphrasing, right, that they they are naked. They take some of these tree branches, they take some of these leaves, and they, you know, make garments for themselves, or, Mm -hmm. you know, they make clothing. And And they hide from themselves, or from each other in that moment, because God wasn't there in that moment, right? They clothed themselves because they realized they were naked, probably for their own sake, but to hide from the other person, to cover their body from the other person of whom they were made from each other, to be in one flesh together in union. Yeah, it's totally crazy. Yeah. Uh, So this is, we actually see, so this is actually before God even divvies out the curses, Mm -hmm. right, which we're going to get to here in a little bit. But this is so fundamental. The eating of this fruit causes a change that we do not see in the narrative before. Mm-mm. Now, this narrative is talking about, you know, humans. It's talking about, like, you know, what this creation looked like. And specifically, the connection is to us. And we see very clearly eating of this fruit changed the game here. Yeah, It changed how things were. There's this divisiveness. You know, yeah. the first thing that happens whenever God asks Adam, like, hey, you know, what's going on here? He blames Eve, mm-hmm. uh, and then he blames God 
for for consuming this fruit. Yeah. So uh, so you have the introduction of shame, which we've talked a little bit about, right? Putting a you know hiding themselves and hiding from each other. This has never existed before, from what we see. It happens after they eat the fruit. This shame comes in. Then we have this blaming, awful things that start to happen. This yeah. divisiveness gets even deeper. I don't know about you, but whenever I get blamed for things, it doesn't feel good, mm-hmm. right? And my protections automatically come up, right? How I defend myself. Yeah. And I bet that this is probably what happened a little bit to Eve, too. Yeah, Right, absolutely. where her protections started coming up. She didn't feel good about herself. And, uh, and then now you're standing before God where your husband is blaming you. I can't imagine they were feeling too close to each other in that moment. No. Unfortunately, the text doesn't give us, you know, the relational dynamic between them after that. I so wish it did, but it's not the point of the narrative, right? The point is that humanity was disconnected from God, was disconnected from life, and we had consequences that we had to suffer, right? It's setting up the trajectory of fallen humanity in need of a Savior, beginning to kind of point towards that redemption story right. when Jesus shows up down the road. Um, but man, I still see this in all of our relationships today, right? Uh, where somebody might blame or attack or accuse. We, we step on each other's toes all of the time. And I get defensive whenever that happens. I, I feel that urge or that tendency as well because I don't want to feel bad about myself Right. Because I want to protect something soft and sacred within me that that is trying to hold on to some of that dignity that I think we're meant to feel about ourselves, and it feels like it's under fire. And so, I mean, this happens in my marriage, right? Uh, I'm a counselor, and I'm supposed to have all my emotions figured out. No, 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 that's not, absolutely not true. Uh, it is hard for me whenever I feel that shame, whenever I feel fear to press against that and be intentional about still opening my heart up, to still be vulnerable, to share the pain, to humble myself and even apologize and say, I am sorry that I hurt you, that I did wrong. Will you please forgive me? I see how badly uh, you have been wronged by my actions. Um, it's hard to go to that place because it feels like something good in me might be threatened. Right. Well, and this is clearly what happens to Adam. Yeah. Instead, he blames his wife. And we kind of see that. Matt and I were talking a little about this before we recorded, too. Um, this is kind of a little bit of evidence that the curse was already taking place. Yeah. And uh, whether or not, like, God actually doles out the curses or whether or not it's um, an unmaking process due to mankind's own actions um, is something that is debated and, and scholarly mm-hmm. debates and you know we aren't necessarily going to take a step into that arena but there's already a rift that's happening here yes and we see this does get uh, pumped up whenever the curses are actually introduced for us the reader to understand. Whenever we, whenever you say curses, whenever we're talking about curses, um, do you think there's a, a different context that we can understand that in? Um, we were talking before that 
It definitely is a curse, but could it also be understood as God giving a rightful and necessary consequence? Right. Um, so I do think that this is something that we see throughout the biblical story. And I think we may have mentioned this a little bit, that God cannot be in the presence of sin. And sin is a pretty broad definition of things. Uh, you know, God cannot be in the presence of disorder. God does not appear to be in the presence of any type of evil or bad thing. So they just did something that wasn't right. And so they actually cannot stay within Eden. We see this a couple times where, um, like with Moses, can't actually look at the face of God. Right. Can't uh, enter the promised land. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like, and we see this like, I mean, in the um, in the establishing of the tent, like in, in uh, you know Exodus as they're going around, I think there's very specific rules that they have to have around the tent and around the holy place to try to keep people safe. And it's to keep people safe from the holiness that is yeah. God. Can't touch the Ark of the Covenant. Mm-hmm. People dropped dead when they accidentally touched it because God is holy, right. sacred. That means something here. Right. And again, something that is showed throughout Scripture and something that kind of gets called here. And, um, you know, I think that a lot of times, you know, if God, like, you know, we're reading this and God's like, hey, man, you guys did this, the sucks, kicks you guys out, and we don't actually hear about these curses, then we don't actually have any idea what's going on or the context of, like, mm-hmm. what this unmaking looks like uh, that happens here. But God does tell them, like, this is what the curses are. They get cast out of Eden. Not only are they cast out, but they aren't allowed to come back in. There's flaming sword, cherubims is placed in front. Like, yeah. this is a serious deal. Yeah. And part of that is they will not survive if they stay in the presence of God. Uh, or at least this is the connection that I have started to make. Again, whether or not it's right or wrong, I'd encourage you to do your own, own reading and to understand it in your own way. Um, that if God did not do this, they would not have been able to last in Eden in such close proximity to him. Yeah. I definitely think there's truth to that, right? Mm-hmm. That um, even part of what eternal punishment looks like, I think the hardest part of that is eternal separation right. from God. And so it is painful for us to be around God whenever we are living in sin, whenever there is death hovering around us. Um, And so this was for our good, these consequences, even though they are painful, (laughs) the suffering that we are to endure sets us, sets us up to be restored by Jesus one day when he takes the penalty for our sin. Um, do you think it would be helpful if we read out some of these these curses? Yeah, or let's read I, I, we out had some of them. talked about them briefly before, but um, let's read first the the curse that he spoke to the woman uh, in Genesis three, chapter sixteen, or verse sixteen. Excuse me. To the woman, he said, "I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children." Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Wow. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, it does. So this curse sets us up for our life today. Yeah. 
right, where there are a vast majority of societies that are patriarchal. Mm-hmm. And women are, like Matt said, have been treated uh, almost as second-class citizens for a really long time. There is this sharp contrast that has happened between male and females that really has caused tons of issues throughout our history. Yep. Yep. Uh, even, you know, chapters after this, just one chapter, it starts describing uh, some some family trees, essentially, and it focuses on the men and the sons that they bore, bear, excuse me, uh, and it mentions just the names of a few wives in there. Not very many mm-hmm. over the grand scheme of it. But already, because of this curse, there is a division between man and woman. Right. That your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. That was not established prior to the fall. Right. That division of husband and wife, man to woman, was a consequence, was a curse. Well, think about how often this happens, right? Um, You know, we were joking a little bit before this. Culturally, right, there's always called different things, right? Women are more creative. Men are more logical. Hmm. There's this uh, thing like, uh, you know, whether or not I get it right, like what men are from Jupiter, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, you know, all these different types of ways of thinking. Women are more creative, men, you know, all this, all this different stuff, or women are more emotional rather, uh, you know, all, all these different things that we're more nurturing and more compassionate. Oh, yeah. Men are harsh and cold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one of the things that we find out is that a lot of this makes sense in the context of what we're reading right here. Yep. The desires will be different. As a marriage counselor, I tell you right now, most, you know, there is certain truth in people saying that opposites attract. And I believe that um, a lot of couples experience a lot of communication issues because they do have different desires. Right, there's always this joke that men want sex a lot more than women, and um, you know, women want this emotional connection, and men just want to have sex. All you know, all these mm-hmm. different dynamics that end up playing out, and this is part of the curse that was yep. introduced, and it is hard for people to bridge that gap. Right, we see it happens right there in Eden. Right, yep. we have perfection of the relationship and what it should look like happens right there. Now we're talking about like, we're quite some distance from that and people's attempt to get close to each other and understand each other. It means that it takes more work to do that. Just like it takes Adam more work to, you know, to till the ground and to, you know, have things grow. It takes more work in the communication realm right Mm -hmm. now for us to form these relationships. Doesn't mean it's impossible, but it means it, it's going to take more effort for us, just like yeah. it's taking more effort for us over time to recognize that there is equality in people and all people, and there's a unity that we have to consider if we want to be whole. Yeah. Yeah. We have to push against it. We have to put in the hard work to get back to Eden, essentially, right? Uh, and to the man as well, like his curse was very physical. I don't know if there's a correlation there between why men might be, feel so much more physically engaged in general, both in work and in their relationships. If you know we were to perpetuate that stigma that men mm-hmm. just want sex, 
um, even if men might be more physical, men still need emotional connection, absolutely. And what I have found in marriage counseling is that it's easy to feel like sex will get us that emotional intimacy that we crave, even though that's they go round in a circle, essentially. But we have to start with vulnerability, compassion, empathy, uh, just like how we were naked in the garden before, walking together. Um, But the curse that was spoken to Adam, you think it's all right to move on to this? We can come back to Eve as well. Uh, Verse 17, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. Very physical curse. Right. Death is involved in there. Right, That we go back right. to the ground. Um, it sounds so toilsome, but I think it affects our relationships. So just really quick, Matt said something really cool. Death is involved. So death is involved. Death is a theme throughout the Bible. It's one of the things that God cannot be near, or sorry, cannot be near to God. Um, childbirth is something that is not painful up until this point. And the curse is very much connected to this idea that God cannot be close to death, mm-hmm. right? So it becomes very dangerous, becomes very difficult because a woman is giving birth to life in yeah. this. But also childbirth is very it's very challenging now, especially mm-hmm. during this time and age where there's a very high chance, uh, or I shouldn't say very high chance, there is a greater chance than maybe even now of death mm-hmm. during childbirth. And... So we see that this pain that is multiplied is, in, and this is, again, a theme that you can start to read and look for throughout the Bible. It is a curse that makes sense from the context of this is humanity taking a step closer to death and a step further away from God. Yeah. And the same thing happens with Adam, right? There is death there in the ground as things get, get harder now mm-hmm. for them. And we're going to see death again in the ground as the ground cries out whenever Cain kills Abel. Um, There is a tainting process that is taking place that uh, humans will now have to deal with. But us just kind of connecting a little bit of back. So I think one of the things that would be helpful is I almost kind of want to jump towards like some of the attachment talking right now because there is huge rifts that are happening here right now. So uh, we get a picture of the garden. People, uh, they're talking to God, right? I don't know how many people are listening to this, but I have a hard time hearing God. Uh, My wife and I talk about this all the time. I never hear anything from God. Mm. Never. Been a believer my whole life, pray every day of my life. I have never heard anything from God. And, you know, whenever I was younger, that really bothered me. I was like, man, I must really suck. Or like my faith is maybe not real. And I just kind of come to discover that God just talks to me in different ways. You know, a lot of times, um, uh, like with feelings mm-hmm. is how I will. Like mm-hmm. if I get urges or anything like that, that I'm that are especially like not selfish, I'll be like, all right, that's God. <laughs> you know, it's, God's wanting me to do this. And that's how uh, God talks to me. Whereas my wife is different. 
she will hear God's voice whenever she prays for something. And it's an interesting dynamic in our relationship where I will do whatever she says based on if she hears God's voice. It is such a flipped upside down version of what the culture tells us, because cultural culture says a lot of things like men are the, you know, and it has it in this curse, right? That men are the head of the household, right? Men are supposed to be the providers, you know, men are the logical ones, they're the problem solvers, all these different types of stuff. When in reality, relationships don't always work that way. In our relationship, my wife hears God. I feel nudges from God. We both have to acknowledge that if we're trying to get closer, there has been a rift that's happened between us and God Mm -hmm. where I don't hear that voice. There isn't that intimacy that Adam and Eve had in the garden. So because there's not this intimacy, I have to trust in what my wife's relationship with God is, and she has to trust in what my relationship with God is for us to have even a semblance of what things look like before, and we have to work at it. Yeah. I imagine that if you can both trust that the other person's experiences are true and right, that that would draw you closer to the Lord as it draws you closer to one another as well. That it would enhance your experience of how you experience God because you can trust. I don't experience him the exact same way, but I'm trusting that this is the relationship that you have. Mm -hmm. I'm going to honor that and see the beauty and dignity in it. I think that's amazing. Right. And it talks about, like, so Matt and I were were talking a little bit before this and and how to best describe relationship issues that we kind of see this in the easiest ways to talk about different attachment styles. So I want to talk a little bit about attachment theory, and then we can kind of talk about, like, broader scope of the implications of this. So attachment theory fits really well if you're a believer, and it fits really Mm -hmm. well if you believe in science, too, because, like— yeah, it's the, it's the most well-researched and well-regarded thing for how human beings connect with things. Um, attachment theory is, yeah, it's actually pretty simple. Human beings are designed to connect and bond with things. Yep. And they are designed to connect and bond with other people. But if other people are not present or they're not reliable or consistent, then we'll bond with other things. Mm-hmm. Right. This is where a lot of drug addiction can come into play. But uh, it happens whenever we're really young, right, yep. uh, where we start to develop this sense of bonding to people to help us survive, right? We bond to our parents, there's a connection Mm -hmm. there. And this continues as we get older, where we learn a style of the way that we connect with people. And the more and more that we can connect with people, the more and more safe and secure we feel in the world, even if the world is very volatile. Absolutely, yeah. Um, We as children learn safety precautions whenever there's an attachment cue that's triggered and it doesn't get met the right way. And so as a child, we will learn how to speak anything to ourselves to make sense out of that moment or out of these years of uh, experiencing a parent uh, or really anyone who is neglectful or who does not respond to our fear or our cry for help. Uh, or who hovers and meets all of our needs, but never gives us a chance to feel like we can do this on our own. Right. Um, any one of those moments, uh, or 
a combination of many of those moments will affect the way that we attach to other people in our life, will affect the way that that curse plays out, and it will also affect the way that the shame and the fear, which was one of the natural consequences of eating that fruit in the garden, plays out in our future relationships right. as well. And depending on who we're talking about, we might have a different attachment style with our spouse than we do with our best friend or than we do with our mother or than we do with our father or than we do with our boss at work. Um, So there's a wide variety of of how we actually engage in relationships, but it definitely is helpful to look at, well, what were our parents like and how were we raised? Um, There can be redemption, restoration, and healing, though, uh, as we go throughout life. That's part of what sanctification is in the Christian faith as we become more and more like Jesus we're in hopes getting back to that place of what we were designed to be in the garden fully vulnerable intimate connected safe nurtured Uh, and so even if we have been harmed and guys every single one of us have been harmed in our relationships in the way that we attach we find ways to move back towards a secure relationship through the gospel and through the relationships that we have with people who are sitting right in front of us. So how does this look? Whenever we're children and we cry out, does someone attend to that need? Right? Does a parent feed us whenever we're hungry? Do they change us? So as a child you learn whether or not you can depend on people. And like Matt said, you adjust your strategy, you know, where as, you know, if my son feels like we meet their meet, you know, that I meet his needs, his mom meets his needs, then he may feel more comfortable coming to us with those needs. If it feels like that whenever he asks us for certain things and often we tell him no, or we dismiss him, or we don't pay attention to him, he may start to feel less comfortable coming with those needs. This happens a lot in different relationships, and I I think it's kind of important to talk about just some of the basic attachment styles, just so that we have some categories. So you have anxious, uh, avoidant, and secure. Yeah, and there's a fourth one, the disorganized attachment, or fearful, which is really, really tricky to understand, too. So... Let's go through some of these. Uh, let's go secure first. Yeah. Right? Let's do the good one. Yeah. So we, We've been talking about this one already. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, we see a secure attachment whenever they're in the garden. Mm-hmm. You see God, Adam, Eve, uh, there is a nakedness, there is an openness to this relationship. There is a closeness that we see, and that's what secure is. Secure is something that whenever— we are in a situation is easier for us to be vulnerable. It's easier for us to move into emotion. We recover quicker from uh, even getting hurt. We are able to look at different reasons why someone may have reacted the way without feeling like it's always on us. Mm-hmm. Um, this is kind of this is what we all want to move towards a secure attachment style. But it also means that we are used to people responding to us in kind. Right? If I communicate my emotions to somebody, I'm used to them responding in a way that makes sense to me and in a way that feels like they understand and they get where I'm coming from. Right. Um, if we kind of 
I almost kind of want to move down this and impossible, what I would say intensity. Um, and I think that anxious is probably the next intense in my mind. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Where, uh, Oh, go ahead. Uh, well, yeah, the anxious attachment style, um, really just refers to those people with a high level of anxiety in their relationship. Mm -hmm. Uh, people who are very fearful whenever they see their partner move away. Um, you know, we, you know, you would describe with a child that this is the child who might be very clingy mm -hmm. uh, or scream out for their parent often whenever they leave a room. Um, but it plays out in adult relationships as well where we are maybe constantly looking for reassurance from a friend, mm -hmm. from a parent, from uh, our spouse. Um, do you love me? Are you going to be there for me? Do you care about me? Can I rely on you? Mm -hmm. um, so much so that our emotions are so highly affected by the emotions of the other person, almost as though we might take on their emotions. Uh, or if they say a wrong word that we interpret a certain way, right. but they don't mean it that way, you know, it might fling us into this fear response. Mm -hmm. um, are we really okay? Mm -hmm. um, what do they mean by that? Um, and we can't trust that really we can believe the best about them or we can be self-sufficient and okay if they're not able to fully meet our need. And heads up, no person on this earth is able to fully meet all of our physical, emotional needs. And so when that other person does inevitably fail us, the anxious person gets even more anxious and moves towards that person or against yeah. that person or away from that person. And sometimes they demand more of that person. Yes. You know, and usually more than, you know, again, like Matt said, more than they can actually provide mm -hmm. for them. It is a, it is a challenging thing, right? The fear of constantly losing someone, constantly being abandoned, being alone. Yeah. Uh, this is, and then, you know, you're probably listening to this. You're like, wow, that's the least intense. Again, this is, just kind of us organizing ourselves. This does. This is not meant as a way of saying the person that feels this way has lesser emotions than anything. No, no, no. Um, but they don't feel safe necessarily in their relationship. And that's the thing with each of the other styles too. There's not a feeling of safety. Right. Otherwise, we would be able to move into that secure mm -hmm. place. Um, we, we fear abandonment, right? Um, and... We want that attention and that care, that responsiveness that we were meant to get in our childhood. And we're looking to our spouse to provide all of those things. But the beautiful part is that we are able to meet some of those needs for ourselves, to speak truth over self. If we can find meaning and purpose and believe who we are, who God created us to be. But this is where God or Jesus comes into the picture as well, because we can get those needs met in him. We can trust that those things will be fulfilled. Right. And that hopefully is in a quick snippet, one of the things that can help move us slowly throughout our life into more secure attachment. Then we have avoidant. So avoidant is a, I think that there's two ways of looking at this. Avoidant is somebody that has tried to get their needs met and it hasn't happened so much that they just stop expressing any type of needs. Mm -hmm. They deny their own needs, their own wants, their own feelings, and they don't express them either. Mm -hmm. So they actually pull away from a relationship because the relationship has been unsafe yeah. and they pull away as a way of protecting themselves and a way of not showing anything of themselves. So whenever you think of avoidant, think of 
moving away as a way of protecting themselves, but also as a way of not showing too much of themselves to keep themselves from getting hurt. Right. Yeah, I'll pull away from people so that they they can't hurt me. Um, I don't actually think that I need to be in a relationship with other people to feel complete. Um, And usually the avoidant or dismissive person, dismissive in the regards that we might dismiss a lot of our own emotional needs. Or dismiss someone else's because they're like, well, if I got my stuff together, why can't they get their stuff together too? Right, so we might... You know, everything's really chill or calm or everything's fine. Have you ever heard anybody say that? I'm fine. Yeah. I'm, we're fine. Nothing's going on. Um, but we don't want to depend on others in this place. We don't want to have to admit that, yes, I do need to feel connected and loved and known by somebody else because that probably doesn't feel very safe. Right. And a lot of times this person will f- look at their ability to to try to keep their emotions and everything in check to keep their expressing of their needs and feelings in check as a strength yep um, but a lot of times it actually ends up in them abandoning their partners uh, ironically a lot of times these avoidant people actually connect very well with anxious mm-hmm. anxiously attached people um, as anxiously attached people try to bring out those emotions to try to feel a little more secure and like what they're feeling is validated in some way the avoidant person usually pulls back more this is actually one of the most common type of uh connections that people try to or like dances that people get into whenever they get into different types of struggles where someone will pull away in order to protect themselves and someone will continue to try to reach them and try to talk but usually in a way that is um can sound like very blaming or very um very accusatory uh, yeah yeah, it's the attack withdraw dance that happens mm-hmm. in relationships. Um, and there's many different kinds of the dances, mm-hmm. but that is a very common one. Right. Yeah. Um, the fourth category um, is a, a little bit more connected with more mental health, more extreme mental health cases. It is the fearful avoidant and or disorganized mm-hmm. attachment pattern. Um, and usually this child growing up uh, was in a family where they experienced both the the high anxiety and the high avoidance. They would experience extreme neglect maybe from a primary caregiver. And then at times like extreme, uh, I can't think of a better word for this, but enneshment mm-hmm. of this caregiver loving on them, doting on them, needing them, fulfilling all these needs. Then all of a sudden being being gone, being absent. Right. Um, and so this child has grown up confused and conflicted about what they get from a loved one, what's appropriate to get from a loved one. Um, and so it's kind of chaos as they move into a relationship of, well, what they're expecting and what they actually might be capable of giving to that person too. Right. And I think that Something that's important is I don't want to throw out different labels, but one of the things I do want to mention is that, like Matt said, this is usually characterized by someone that is suffering from severe mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And part of that is because there is no consistency in responses, right? If you have a parent that is consistently avoidant, you have a parent that's consistently anxious and how they may express needs or even be able to respond to you. 
uh, then you have some type of predictability. Mm-hmm. This is a situation where there is no predictability. Right. So that child's not able to make sense out of their world. They're back and forth with figuring out what safety precautions or measures that they use. Um, so it can be pretty tumultuous and even lead to mental health breakdowns in their own psyche. Yeah. So if this is the, the best way to make sense of this is if you are someone or you know someone that maybe like try to super attach and they try to get super close to somebody and then they may have periods where they're like withdrawing or like this can cycle like a, a days moments where um, you can have someone that maybe they feel someone's a little distant from them and it becomes a huge emergency like the there's a crisis in the relationship um, or the exact opposite where it's like hey like this person is trying to talk to me too much i feel like this relationship is abusive or i feel like this relationship is uh, too volatile or they're too clingy or anything uh, this kind of back and forth effect is something that's very common but this is also something that's very common for someone that's traumatized so like if uh, you have maybe maybe even a parent or even someone that you're in a close relationship with, and they are pretty consistent, and then something dramatically happens where that consistency is thrown into question. And so now we have two very different experiences of this person. Uh, so this can be, a lot of times in relationships, this can be like a, a trauma that somebody happens if there is an affair, right? They might feel mm-hmm. like the spouse is someone that is very loving, very kind to them, and they've been always super supportive. And all of a sudden they discover an affair has happened, and all of a sudden they're having to reorganize everything with how they've understood this. Their attachment style becomes disorganized because all of a sudden there is a inconsistency with can I trust this person? Will they be there for me? A hot mm-hmm. and cold type of mix where it's like all of a sudden I do not know how to respond to this person. Yeah. We see this so often in in relationships, these different types of attachment styles that we have actually been able to categorize these mm-hmm. attachment styles. It happens so much. And we see this in the biblical narrative uh, in different points, and, and we're not going to go through all the different ones. But um, I think that it's important that whenever this, the, this does play out in how we react to God, do I hide myself from God? Do I hide my feelings, my struggles from God? Uh, Like, right, am I pulling away from God constantly? Am I constantly talking to God, constantly, like, trying to ask God for, like, advice and different things, which could look good on Mm -hmm. the surface, but maybe I'm doing it in in so much and in in such a way that I'm not actually taking time to actually listen for a response, right? right? Or whatever response God's giving me, I can't really take in. Or, like, am... do I feel like God is such so inconsistent, such hot and cold, right? I, I read the biblical story, and maybe I misinterpret or misunderstand and think that, you know, well, how does it say that God is slow to anger? And then, like, all these terrible things happen, mm. right? So, like, we may not quite understand what that relationship looks like. It affects how we view God and yep. how we relate to God Absolutely. and how we go to God. So I think these are something that's really important. And a lot of times what we see is that as person heals their connection with God, uh, it also affects their relationship or how they heal their relationship with somebody else. It can affect how their relationship is with God. Right. So this is something where um, it is so fundamental and so pivotal because humans are designed to attach. Mm-hmm. We are designed to connect. We see it here in Genesis. This happens all throughout the biblical story. People are designed to connect. And yeah. if they cannot connect with a person securely, they will connect with things, 
right? So they'll have addictions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they'll have like fancies or, or fantasies about different things. Uh, they'll daydream all the time, right? We will connect to something that makes us feel something right. that has some type of sense of con- consistency. Right. We're going to look for meaning and purpose somewhere else, right? Whenever we were designed to find that in God and to a delight and enjoy it with another person, we will look to other means, whether it's our work. I mean, corporate America, everybody, we work too much. We find so much meaning and purpose in our work or our identity and what we do, our career. Mm-hmm. Um, or we do find that in those addictive personalities, right? Totally. Or we find that in entertainment, right? I'm just going to live for the weekend. I'm going to live so that this ne- until this next Marvel movie comes out. That's what I'm so invested in. I love Marvel, by the way, right. but it's not going to fulfill me it's not going to satisfy my deepest needs there's one person who can do that right it's not my wife either it's god (laughs) but my wife gets to be a part of it as well totally well and a lot of times if there is a separation between you and your your spouse you and your friends you and your community uh there does become a separation from god yep it's you are not designed to have a connection with god in isolation Yep, that's why we have oh, one of the reasons why we have the church is we get to experience more of who God is. We experience different mm-hmm. aspects of God when we worship with other people. Right. And so relationship enhances our knowledge and love for the Lord. Right. So there's a couple different things, a couple different stories that we want to try to make a quick connection with. Um we don't have time to go through all of them, but, you know, maybe at some point we'll get through all of them. Uh, <laughs> Two it, years it, from now. Yeah, yeah, and this is a specific connections that we're trying to make between uh, uh, man and woman and in the context of relationships. And the first people that we're going to talk about is like Abraham and Sarah, mm-hmm. right? There is a nation that's going to be born out of Abraham, mm-hmm. and Sarah's really old. Yep. And the idea is that they are starting to not trust in God, mm-hmm. and so they take they take what's good in their own hands. And Sarah gives her immigrant slave Hagar, mm-hmm. yep. Hagar, which is a translation of immigrant, just means immigrant, yeah, <laughs> to Abraham to start to conceive a child. Yep. So they go against what God says in this. There is huge ramifications of this. Yeah. So we see that this injustice that ends up happening yeah. because, you know, after this, Sarah starts to treat Hagar awfully, even though she's the one right. that gave over yeah. uh, her slave to her husband to try to start to birth this nation. And so we see like this dynamic starts to form here right as there's distrust of god it brings mm-hmm. devices divisiveness in their relationship but that was probably existing already before in some right. ways we just don't get the picture of that but then you also see abraham as they're traveling across country and they come to these powerful rulers in the land he lies about his, oh, yeah. marriage lies about with, his wife yeah oh she's my sister and there's consequences for that as well of of him not honoring the relationship as they're before these powerful men. Um, and so there's brokenness in this relationship, but God still mm-hmm. uses a broken relationship to bring about his people mm-hmm. and blesses Abraham and Sarah. Right. Well, and I think it's something that's important here 
Abraham tries to avoid fights with his wife, right? He's like, hey, this is your slave. You do what you want. Um, so again, this is a this is a story we'll probably come back to whenever we talk about um, like other relationships and mm-hmm. hear like racial dynamics and everything um, as we go through the Bible. But what we see right here is there is a divisiveness in this relationship in a way that they're responding to each other that is not right. Mm-hmm. And it's causing issues. And this issue ends up causing huge ramifications later on. There is a there's a nation that comes out of uh, Hagar's son, Ishmael, that uh, ends up causing issues with uh, yep. the Israelites. And so yep. this, these are all different things where if God's people were acting in a way that God was asking them to and like having a relationship in the context of what the biblical story talks about, that we would avoid a lot of these issues. But that ends up not happening, and it gives us an idea of the divisiveness and how it can cause different types of issues where, again, we're in this society, this culture where Abraham is the head of the household. There's this divisiveness. They're they're not talking about this. The only thing they're talking about is that they have some type of want, they have some type of need, they have some type of desire here to have a child, Mm -hmm. and they end up abusing one of their slaves and causing this rift uh, that ends up playing out in the nation later on. Yep. And God uses rifts like this all throughout Scripture, right? Mm-hmm. Even though we have these broken relationships, a few patriarchs down the road, you know, we see uh, Jacob and his marriage to Leah, and then his marriage to Rachel. Um, you know, people make this great love story out of how long he was working for his his father in law mm-hmm. to win Rachel's hand, uh, but the way that he treated Leah was just horrible. And the dynamic between these two sisters and uh, the tension that was there, God blessing Leah with all of these children because Jacob's love was not for her and his love was for Rachel and and she being barren for so long as a consequence of kind of taking all of this love. Um, broken relationships scattered all throughout the biblical narrative. Um, but again, we'll talk more about those, the dynamics of those relationships uh, right. later on. But I, I do think that it is important because you may be listening right now and you may have a broken relationship where terrible things have happened. And even though terrible things have happened, there can be recovery in different relationships. There can be yes. connection that is reestablished. Now, does that happen in all relationships? No, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, Sometimes there are relationships that have been too broken or too hurt, and that can happen. You know, unless unless there is a situation where you are hearing from God that this relationship is going to work, at the end of the day, if the other person doesn't move, the other person doesn't let you in, and if they can't learn to do that or, or, or they... You know, it doesn't behoove them to. There's all kinds of dynamics, right? And I don't want to speak to everyone's relationship individually, but human beings are designed to bond with each other. And because of this curse that we see, that becomes broken. And yeah. we have to work harder at it. And we have to understand that it's not going to be easy. Mm-mm. And we cannot just assume that we're just going to get it. No, we have to learn. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a hard learning curve. Right. Um, for every relationship, there will absolutely be ruptures. That's a guarantee. 
but the repair is always going to be way more important than the rupture. Right. And I think we forget that the repair is possible. Mm-hmm. But often, like you like you said, sometimes it's it doesn't come for every person, the ability to repair. And there has to be a, a miracle of repentance, um, a miracle of forgiveness, that both parties have to be humble enough to express what they're feeling, right. to speak hard truth, to to name their own part in this really messy dance. Um, that is really hard to do whenever we don't feel very safe right. or if we don't feel very secure or attached to the Lord as well. How can we let ourselves be emotionally vulnerable and exposed to someone else, especially if they've hurt us? Totally. I mean, think about this. Secure relationship in Eden. First thing that Adam does is not react in a vulnerable way like he might have um, or like we thought, like maybe he should. He reacts in a blaming way, yeah. right? He doesn't say, he doesn't come with a aura of humility. Be like, you're right, God. I did eat of the fruit that you told me not to. That isn't what he says. So like it is difficult. It is difficult to, to have our heart move in this way. Yeah. And a lot of times we actually need the grace of God to be able to do that, right? That's how we're designed to be able to do this. Um, I think this is just something I want to hit on really quick from just like an equality standpoint, that the the Bible is introduced to, um, is introduced through a cultural lens that is very different than our own here (laughs) in, in Western culture. And, it is God constantly working through this cultural lens and trying to help these people kind of move into the kind of unity that he's wanting and that is appropriate. And we kind of see this in a couple different ways. And one of the ways that was just profound to me that I learned not too long ago is in Numbers uh, 27. And this is a story about five wives that come to Moses, and they go, hey, um, our patriarchs have passed away and our family. Who's going to inherit the land? Who's going to inherit all these different things? And we as women, can we inherit this? Totally not okay in that culture for women to own land, for women to be able to manage these types of things. This is a patriarchal system where it was passed down that way. And Moses is like, I don't know. There's nothing about it in the Torah. The Torah has all kinds of other laws. And as they get closer to the promised land, more laws are added. Um, But goes to God, asks God. And God goes, oh, no, they they should be able to do that. Mm -hmm. We see here that God is moving towards equality. And even with the introduction of Torah, right, slaves eat at the same table as their masters. Uh, There's certain treatment that is expected of them. There is a movement towards Equality. There's a movement towards unity. Yeah. And we see these flashes in this that's super important. We see this with Jesus mm-hmm. and how he treats people. Yeah. That it did not really matter whether or not they were a uh, man or woman. There was a, you know, he, he talked to both, right? Mm-hmm. He talked to them because they're all the image of God. There's an importance there. Yeah. And for us, the more we can look at our relationships as 
we are people that have different types of strengths. We have different types of needs. We know this curse is on us. So like, it's going to be difficult for us to communicate. And we're both on board with working through those and trying to move towards that. Then we're going to be more likely to be successful because we are looking at our lives in the context of what the biblical narrative talks to us about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is wild how God throughout scripture pushes against the boundaries of culture. Uh, and we might look at it and say it's not fast enough, right? It's not extreme enough because we are so developed and so progressive in our, our world today. Mm-hmm. But God was doing radical— quotes, th- so progressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I hope you can hear that in my voice. Uh, but God was doing radical things for the culture, for what those people were able to handle and, and comprehend. Uh, he was pushing, pushing hard on them to love the people around them, to take care of them, um, to restore them, to see them with the honor and dignity that he created them with. And we're still on that journey. We're, we're moving towards that still, but obviously we still have so much division in our world. We are, <laughs> we are not different from these people that we are reading about here. Even though sometimes we like to believe Think, that we are. Yeah. Right. The, I mean, th- this happens to me. Right. Um, and maybe you're listening. This happens to you. I love my wife. We are we are close. Uh, I feel close to her. But you know, this does creep in sometimes. Where I'm like, wow, she's being really emotional right now. She doesn't really know what she's talking about. Boom! Right there, that divisiveness that happens. Mm-hmm. That happens internally in my heart. Right there. All of a sudden, there's a little distance between her and I. Yes. And if I don't work to address that distance in my own heart and our relationship, then it's just going to continue to grow. And there's going to be something that grows between me and my wife that is not connection. Right. And that's going to then impact my relationship with God because that relationship exists between us and God together. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, is there anything else you want to mention before I make one last call to something thousands of things <laughs> but i i think we are there where we can start wrapping it up well and i you know this is going to be themes that we continue to hit back on but something that matt and i were talking about is that just just really in our heart that we want to call out jesus anytime that we see um a clear call to jesus yes, in scripture thank you for that uh we see this whenever uh we actually see this in the curses uh mm-hmm. go ahead yeah when he gives a curse to the serpent as well or a consequence because you have done this cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field on your belly you should go you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life i will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel this is a shout out a foreshadowing of jesus coming to uh, step on sin, to step on the devil's working in this world and begin to undo it. Right, to be the snake crusher, or yeah. the skull crusher of the snake. Yeah, death um, no longer has its sting, mm-hmm. right? How cool is that? So that like right here after this separation happens, God's already actually giving us a foreshadowing mm-hmm. that he already has a plan yes. to reconnect. And uh, it's something that we are so thankful for. Yeah.
So whenever I feel disconnection in any of my relationships, well, I look to Jesus because he's the one who's ultimately beginning to restore and re-knit this world together. So thank you guys for joining us in this episode. We hope that you find it helpful. We look forward to talking to you guys more about relationships and uh, mental health and and even kind of drawing on some of these insights that we find in the Bible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you find us helpful, uh, please give us a like, subscribe, um, recommend us to your friends, um, share our our podcast with someone else. Um, We would love to hear from you. You can uh, email us with some questions if you're curious to hear about something else. Um, But we look forward to, to hearing from you. All right. You guys take care. Thank you for listening to Mental Health Insights in the Bible. This podcast is conducted by two licensed professionals in mental health counseling, but this podcast is not meant to provide medical or legal advice and is not a substitute for personal counseling. The song in our podcast is called Indie Folk by Alexi Action, found on Pixabay. If you are listening to this and feel that you may be a harm to yourself or others, please reach out to professional because we believe your life is worth it.